been in a fight you didn't even know you were in? <laughs> how did it go? How, how, how hard is it when you don't know you're in a battle to win? Well, I was kind of new to my faith. It was the early 90s, and we just moved to Seattle. This was before cell phones were out and about, and I was on a prayer walk. See, now you can go on a prayer walk and just put your headphones on, and people just think you're on your phone. But back then, on a prayer walk, you kind of have to lay low or you look crazy, right? And so I'm walking through this beautiful part of town where we live called the Green Lake, and I'm walking and praying, and it's just this grand adventure. My wife and I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. We'd just gotten married and moved all the way to Seattle. Never been there in our lives until we moved there to help with a church plant. And so as we're walking and praying, all of a sudden, a bird dives at my head. Now, I had hair back then, so it could have gotten tangled up. It was a scary moment, but it only got scary when two, three, four birds all started coming at me. And I shared it with someone later in the day, and I was trying to figure out, you know, did I walk, like, near its nest, or what's going on? And he said to me a phrase I hadn't really heard much before. He said, you were under spiritual attack. You were praying. And apparently crows don't like that. And so it was this introduction to something that I wasn't really very familiar with. And so today I want to just give you kind of an overview of, a, of a, something that's happening in the spiritual realm that's actually perhaps disrupting your life and you don't even know it. And I want us to understand how the enemy attacks so that we can know the schemes and protect ourselves. And oftentimes the attack comes first at our identity, at who I am. Because when you don't know who you are, when you're not secure in who God says you are, then you can easily be manipulated with lies telling you how to be somebody. So for me, understanding the temptations and traps actually helped me find freedom because there are things that kept tripping me up. But the scriptures give us a way out in the midst of this battle so that we can win, we can prevail, we can have the life that God intended us to live, a life with security and value and worth and confidence that comes from God. So we all get attacked and we all get tempted, and Jesus did too. In fact, today's talk is called WWJD. Any of you from the 90s remember what that stands for? Say it out loud. What is it? Man, a lot of us know that one. Yeah. So today is an addendum. What would Jesus do when he's tempted? Because some of us might hear that. What would Jesus do and think, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect, so I can't live up to that. But you know what? If you've decided to follow Jesus, you actually can make progress. There are things I'm not struggling with now that used to be overwhelming to me not too long ago. You can actually become more like Jesus, more and more like the one who was perfect, the one who's filled with life and joy and peace, and we can experience that too. So listen to what the scriptures say about spiritual warfare. This is in Ephesians 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you're unfamiliar with this idea of the armor of God, then 
read all of Ephesians 6, especially the last half. Because what we're hearing is a, a church planner, a pastor, was writing his friends who he was concerned about, who he cared for, and was trying to give them wisdom on how to withstand the attacks they were under. And notice that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. There are dark forces that we cannot see, and sometimes we might experience it through people, but ultimately they're not our enemy. In fact, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. But there's a darkness that can destroy, in fact, wants to destroy us. And so you may not realize this, but Christianity is often portrayed as if our battle is against people who believe differently than us, or our battle is against people who vote differently than us. If you were to look at your friends who follow Jesus, if you were to look at their Facebook page or their Instagram page, it looks like they're waging war against people who believe differently. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not in a battle against people. We're in a battle against unseen forces of evil. We're to love people. We're to influence people. We're to help people along the way. And pray for those who vote differently. <laughs> and love those who might believe differently. But here's the thing. The battle is more sinister than we realize, but it's way more subtle than we realize as well. Because ultimately, the battle is in our mind. Now, let me just pause and just acknowledge that some of us are here and we're just exploring faith. And that's wonderful. This is a great place to do that. You can come with your doubts and your struggles. We all have issues we're trying to work through. And this is a place where you can truly come as you are. We love everyone life by life. And so let me just say, there's some of us that aren't sure about God or Jesus and certainly aren't sure about uh, some sort of satanic evil. And, and let's be honest, there is a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to this sort of thing. And I think some of it comes from the Middle Ages. Some of it comes from Hollywood. When you think of the devil, if you think of something with a red skin and a tail and fangs, that's more like Halloween than what's actually in the Bible. See, the word Satan actually means the accuser. And there are spiritual forces that want to destroy us. And so even if you're not sure about God and Jesus and Satan, perhaps we can all agree that there is evil in this world, right? There's a lot of evil. There's devastation, there's murder, there's abuse, there's war. See, we just don't see how evil actually works. And as that verse says, it's never people that are a real enemy. If we could see behind the evil actions of people, there's evil, a darkness in the spiritual realms working against us. And it's working within our own minds. Those thoughts that want to pit us against others, that drive us apart, divide, villainize, otherize, to where we see people as us versus them. When we have these thoughts that drive a wedge between us and others, because of the color of our skin, because of the way that we vote, even with those in our own home, there's dark thoughts that all of us have, but just because we have a thought doesn't mean we need to act on it. Just because we have a thought doesn't mean we need to agree with it. 
In fact, when you start to realize it's not a sin to be tempted, it's what you do with that temptation that determines the kind of person you'll become, then all of a sudden you can dismiss the weird thoughts that we have. And we all have them. Don't worry, we're not going to share with your neighbor some of the weirder thoughts you've had this week. We all have weird thoughts. And I'm telling you, there's a darkness that's trying to distract you. Now, Jeffrey Russell, a professor out of UC Santa Barbara, a leading historian on evil, and I don't, I don't even know if he's actually a follower of Jesus, but listen to what he says. The suggestion that Jesus' belief in Satan was merely part of a primitive worldview poses serious difficulties. The notion that the first century was a benighted age, in other words, not as enlightened as we are, compared with the 20th century is mere ethnocentrism shifted to time. Some big words in there, right? In other words, we look down on other cultures because they're not us. And we look down on 2,000 years ago, oh, isn't that cute? They thought it was demons. Isn't that sweet? We now know it's something else. Well, maybe we don't know as much as we think we know. Maybe they knew more than we realize. See, Russell notes that our lack of belief in evil satanic force bent on mass destruction has not actually decreased evil. Even though the belief in this kind of evil has decreased in Western society, you could say that evil has actually increased over the last hundred years. Russell says nothing else can explain transpersonal evil. The fact that large groups of normal humans can be led to do horrific things. See, but for our purpose, here's what you need to understand. Evil's only power is when you believe the accusations. When you believe the lies. See, the battle is won or lost in your mind. So think about the thoughts that come into your mind. Attacking your worth or value. Tempting you to lust or to judge. Provoking insecurity within you or superiority. These thoughts can lead us down a road that actually hurts us and helps others. That's how evil works. The attack always starts with our identity. So let's learn from Jesus how to handle these attacks. The story of Jesus when he's tempted three times. And these are the same temptations that we face. In fact, I want you to consider the different ways that he's tempted and see if any of these are relevant to you. Matthew 4, it says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what's interesting about this moment is Jesus had just been baptized. He had just stepped out from his mother's home as a carpenter, providing for his family, and was beginning his public ministry, and he started with being baptized. And it was in that moment that God the Father affirmed his identity. There were people there, witnesses, that said they heard a voice from heaven say, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. minute. Jesus had never taught at this point. He had never done one miracle, and yet God was already saying, this is my dearly loved son. With him, I am well pleased. So you need to understand, that's actually how God feels about you. 
You don't have to earn his love and affection. He loves you right now, just as you are. And as we surrender our lives to him, as we trust our future to him, it's out of gratitude that we allow him to change us and live out the good works that he has for us to do. But we get that order mixed up. Some of it's because of childhood wounds. We, we feel like we have to do something to get the affection, to get the appreciation, to be loved. And some of us have a misunderstanding of God. See, God loves you, created you on purpose and for a purpose, invites you into a relationship with him that you might know him and know the peace and the joy and the love and the life that were intended for you. But the enemy wants to keep that from happening. See, God affirms Jesus' identity, and then Jesus actually is led into the desert for 40 days of fasting and preparation for what was to come. And as you can imagine, I've never fasted for 40 days from food. I have from the news, from sugar. Those were both really hard. I can't imagine food. He must have been incredibly physically vulnerable. And it's in that moment that Satan attacks with the first temptation, the temptation that I am what I do, the temptation of performance. The devil said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Satan means accuser. And notice how all the temptations start with the accusation, if you're the son of God, prove it. Well, God had already said he was. And a lot of people heard it, including Jesus. But even still, the enemy attacks Jesus' identity. So when you and I think of God as angry, that, that he is out to get you or doesn't love you, that's actually the enemy trying to drive a wedge between you and him. In fact, I, I heard it explained this way. I love this explanation. The difference between religion and true faith, a, a misunderstanding of seeing God as angry versus the God that's loving and grace that we read in the scripture. See, religion is believing that I messed up and dad is going to kill me. Whereas true faith is I messed up and I need my dad. There's a huge difference, isn't there? How do you view God? When you mess up, do you turn to him for help to start afresh? Or do you run in fear what might happen? Now, don't get me wrong. We reap what we sow and there are consequences to our actions, but... That's not God. God's warned us, don't do dumb things because bad things will happen when you do. And often we blame our consequences on the one who warned us from even doing those things. I wonder if you've ever heard this accusatory thought. If you are a real man, prove it by dot, dot, dot. Or if you're a woman worth loving, prove it by dot, dot. See, these accusations are against our true identity, who God says we are. And if you're not secure in who God says you are, then you can be easily manipulated. See, the aim is to deceive us into doing something that's outside of God's will or timing. See, for Jesus to eat, I mean, it's been a long time. To eat would have been a good thing. It would have been a cool first miracle to turn a stone into bread. Nothing's wrong with actually meeting that need except for it was not God's timing. Jesus knew there was more fasting to be done. And he knew under these circumstances, 
as weak as he might have felt physically, not to give in to the dark temptations. See, some of us set our sights on performance, on accomplishments, to make a name for ourselves. If I can just hit that next target of success, that coveted title on my office door, or that next level of accomplishments, then I'll be somebody. Then I'll feel good about myself. That's just propping up a false identity. See, in my 20s and 30s, I could never accomplish enough and, and, or fast enough. And some of that, again, is kind of those parent wounds of, of feeling like the goalposts always moved as closer and closer I got. When you're trying to be somebody, you've forgotten that you already are somebody. Created by a God who gave you life at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives you the best opportunity to know him. He was with you in the midst of those challenging moments. Turn to him when things are hard. Celebrate with him when things are great. We're in the midst of a battle, and there's an unseen enemy battling us in our minds. I've shared before about how making progress comes through understanding what's really true. Even last week, I talked about being in a funk since my dad had died. And really, if you're anything like me, I, sometimes I'm just kind of easily irritated. I'm angry, easily angered. But behind that is actually fear. And so I shared about just certainly grieving the loss of my father, but also I entered into a funk because I was afraid that I might get Alzheimer's like he had or cancer like he had. And I became obsessed of figuring out how can I avoid the same fate. And my wife kept asking me, what's bothering you? And I would say, nothing, leave me alone. <laughs> and that went on for several days until last Sunday morning, getting ready for the message and spending a little time praying. And then I started reading Romans 8. And I was just going to read like a verse. I didn't have much time to get ready. And I just couldn't stop reading Romans 8. So I read so much of it to you last week. Because what happened is I began to see the truth again. I don't have to be a victim of my fears. I am not defined by the worst things that have happened to me or people I love. I'm defined by the one who created me. And so are you. And so I'm happy to report after sharing with all of you last week, I've been funk-free ever since. <laughs> now I will tell you, I learned a special lesson because that morning was when I realized what had been bothering me and for several weeks my wife was asking and I didn't know and so I'm glad I was able to share it with you but I have learned a lesson. I probably should have shared it with her first <laughs> rather than her hearing it with you last Sunday. But sometimes I'm a little bit slow to figure things out. But I want you to understand when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus said, if you will follow my teachings, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what he's talking about. Do you understand who you are? And when you say yes to following Jesus, now you're actually in Christ. When you've opened up your heart to him, you're actually forgiven. You are a child of the king. In fact, just for fun, let's just practice saying that together. It should be up on the screen. Ready? I'm a child of the king. When things are going wrong, when you're being 
tempted to think differently and that you're unworthy, that you have so much shame, remind yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a child of the king. Why is this bothering me so much? I'm a child of the king. We, in the first week, looked at Ephesians 1, and I encourage you to meditate on Ephesians 1. Put your name throughout Ephesians 1. Just to summarize verses 4 and 5. I am dearly loved and adopted, a son or daughter chosen by God, blameless in his eyes. We've been put in a different position because of what Jesus has done for us. But then there's temptation two. Temptation two is I am what others think. We get sucked into people pleasing. Notice what happens here. The devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. See, some of us have built our identity around what people think about us. We are afraid not to please other people. But this is a trap. Satan was tempting Jesus to throw himself down from the highest spot on the temple to make himself known, to be rescued by the angels. And and what's so dangerous about this, he says, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. See, the enemy actually knows the Bible too. But he doesn't include the context. He twists it, manipulates it. And, And so Jesus knows the truth. Because there was also rumors of how when the Messiah were to come, this was not in the Bible, but rabbis were saying when the Messiah would come, we would know it because he would be at the top of the temple. This was Jesus' moment to please the rabbis, to, to allow the angels to rescue him. But instead, he refuted it because he knew the truth, and the truth is what set him free. See, one of the things that I was really convicted of during the pandemic even as we reached out to many of you, those of you who were part of Gateway those three years ago, feels like a lifetime ago, was how many of us didn't understand God's word, didn't have time with God on a regular basis. Because being online is certainly better than not being at all, but it was really hard when their only connection with God was, was with other people on a Sunday. That's not enough. And so... I want to invite you to do something with me. I had this idea on Friday, and I've been thinking about it all weekend, and I'm really excited about it. I'm going to start it in the new year, and I'm going to invite you to join me in it. Read through the New Testament. It's just one chapter a day, five days a week, and I'll record a little video. If you want to follow me on social media, you can look for me. I even have a TikTok account now. (laughs) TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I'll even do it on Twitter if that's still here by the new year, right? But I just one minute a day, I'll just share the context of what we're reading that day and what we can be hearing from God's voice in that. Just join us in understanding who God is and the truth of who he is through the scriptures. You see, the Bible is one of the ways that we understand the truth. It's one of the ways God communicates to us. A verse that really helped me just remember my identity as an early follower of Jesus was Galatians 2.20. It says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I would just quote that to myself. I would just remind myself. Another verse, the pure in heart will see God. Anytime a, a lustful thought would come crashing into my mind, I'd remind myself, wait, that's not the direction I want to go because the pure in heart will see God. You know what? If we allow temptation to be the reminder to pray, if we allowed temptation to be the reminder to quote scripture, we would actually be undefeated in life. But see, what happens is we come under attack. And what happens is we end up with shame. Now, shame is not about an action, but about identity. It's when we believe the lie that something's wrong with me. We feel worthless or horrible or condemned as a person because of the bad choices, because of the temptations. But there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit will convict your heart so that you will make a different choice and show you a way out. Condemnation says you will never do better. There's a difference. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to death. So Jesus fights the lie, quoting the scripture. Don't test God, but trust God. Which leads to the third and final temptation. I am what I have, possessions. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. One of the things we can learn from Jesus is the best way to get rid of a bully is to ignore him. Three times this bully tried to deviate Jesus from the plan that God had for him. And after a while, the devil gave up. I want to be that kind of person. What about you? I want the devil to give up. He's tired of trying because it's not going to work. And what we see here is Jesus resisting the lie that Satan, who does have power for now, was offering him all the kingdoms in front of him. But the truth was Jesus already had access to all the kingdoms. He had all authority and all power and all things one day will come under his loving kingdom See, here's the beautiful thing. When you choose to follow after him, you become a child of the king. You become his heir. Galatians 1, and because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Not only do you become a child of the king, but you have access to the inheritance because of what Jesus did for you and me. Too often we get manipulated by evil. We believe lies and those lies become our reality. Too many of us are walking around living out a false reality. God wants you to know you are secure. You don't have to envy others. You don't have to have more to be truly secure. You can be secure, fulfilled, strong, getting rid of the old self, putting on the new self. See, John 10.10 tells us the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. I said that with a Texas accent. To steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We can only experience that when we say no to evil and 
yes to the one who loves us. Surrendering every day, throughout each day. Dying to our old self to live the new life he has for us. This morning we're going to take communion. We're going to have a moment during a song that you can reflect and connect with God. And then after that song, I'll lead us. We'll take communion together. But remember, communion is symbolic. It's a physical reminder that we need what Jesus did on the cross, giving his body, shedding his blood to actually experience the fullness of life. If you've never received God's gift of relationship, his forgiveness, new life, eternal life, you can begin today. During this song, just pray, God, I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for today for the first time. This could be your first communion. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. Just let this time pass. Just enjoy the song. But reflect, consider, perhaps ask, God, if you're real, show me. Start pursuing him that he might reveal himself. And for those of us who've been following him for a while, there are things we need to surrender today. We need to let go of anxiety and performing, people-pleasing, envy and comparison, judging, greed, slander. During the song, examine your